0: Sunny 16 presents. Welcome to episode 10 of I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about cameras and camera collecting brought to you by the gang of the Sunny 16 podcast. My name is Jeff Greenstein. My name is Gabe Sachs. Episode 10. 10. What? What does 10 mean to you?
1: Do you remember when we started this, Jeff? Do you remember way back when we started the show? Way back
0: in 1956, yeah. it was just a dream. Just a dream. Just a dream. When did we start the, this? There's a few months now. Yeah, it's a few months. Right? Yeah. But 10 yeah. episodes. I mean, I feel we like we've accomplished something. In We are dialed in. Yeah. Though, don't you think, again, I always kind of go to the analogy of making episodes of television shows. Right. Episode 10 is when you get a little restless creatively. You, you do. <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's true. You start thinking about changing it up. Yep. Screwing with the format. Absolutely. Maybe you do a clip show, but the clips <laughs> are from episodes you never actually made. Did you yell and <laughs> stuff like that? That's awesome. Okay, so we're going to screw with the format. Yeah. This is exciting. This episode is entitled, How We Are Weird. <laughs> I pitched this to Gabe. Gabe immediately got excited. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about our quirks. And preferences and strangenesses that we have in the world of photography, in the world of cameras. Obviously, if this intersects with aspects of our personalities, we will note that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they will. So And they will. Let's dive right in. Go ahead, okay. you, you go first. Here we, Let's see what you got. You want me to go first? Sure. Okay, this I'm, This is actually a little bit of a repeat, and in a way, it's kind of a theme. Okay. You know, I don't think when we embarked on this journey back in 56, <laughs> that we understood that there was this essential dichotomy in the way that you and I sort of approach camera acquisition. No, we did not, But no. the first thing I'm going to say in terms of how I am weird is, even the smallest imperfection grates on me. <laughs> and it gets in my head, and it prevents me from enjoying things. And this can be the person whispering in the movie theater, Mm -hmm. or this can be the little dent on the corner of the Pentax Spotmatic. Right. Or or
1: something you can't see, but you know it's there. Yes, we've talked about that.
0: (laughs) I actually, since we spoke... Okay, so we spoke about the SL350, which I'm in love with, and I'm going to talk about it a little more. I am now wondering... If this is actually how the the winder was manufactured, I'm now starting to doubt that it is cracked. Right. Now, maybe that is a psychosis. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think definitely. Ah! I not only think that's a psychosis. I think that the
1: minute that your mind tells you it might be something wrong, you've now, it's it's wrong.
0: That's it. That's how you deal with yeah. it. It's something wrong with the camera. So I've somehow, okay. So either it is how it was manufactured. hmm or, because I love the camera, I've come up with an elaborate denial mechanism. Right. Yeah. And I don't really want to know the answer. Okay. <laughs> the exception, of course, I have talked about the Alpa 11SI, which right. is beat to hell and has paint problems and engravings and so forth, but I love it nonetheless. Do you think there's an analogy here to relationships? That when you oh, no. love something so deeply, <laughs> yes. you forgive the imperfections and the imperfections become part of the charm, part of what attracts you. Do you agree?
1: I. That's definitely how I feel because I get the most beat up camera you could imagine and I couldn't be happier. If it works, I'm happy. It looks worn in. I feel like it's cool, you know, that stuff. But I know that I will never be competing with you for uh, the purchase of a camera.
0: <laughs> that's true. That is true. Yep. Because we are pursuing entirely different avenues of acquisition. Completely different. That's really good. That's good for us. All right, your turn.
1: Okay, so I will start with my darkroom routine. Okay? Oh. And I feel that everything's going to go wrong at any minute, and there's no leeway (laughs) at all. So the first thing I do is that when I'm loading my plastic reel, and it has to be a plastic reel, and it has to be the one with that big plastic part that I can easily thread it onto the reel. I can't do this metal stuff that's so fancy, apparently. So I have to do that. And when I put it in the dark bag, changing bag, I close my eyes really tight because I feel like that's going to make it darker. So when I'm reeling this all up, it's going to make it darker. So there's going to be no chance that light is going to leak. Remember
0: when you were a kid, you'd close (laughs) your eyes and you'd say, "I'm invisible, mommy." Exactly, exactly. It's the same
1: thing. So I feel like when I close my eyes, that it's going to be darker, and I will reel that thing. There'll be no (laughs) light leak at all. I'll put it in the tank. I'll close it, and then. I will be absolutely fine. I, have, I, I feel very secure with that. And that only carries on into the actual darkroom process where the temperature of the developer, because I haven't done this monobath thing that you have recommended, but I did buy it from Cinestel. Oh, good. Um, but I feel like if the temperature is a half a degree higher or a half a degree lower, that that's going to ruin my film. So then you can imagine me putting hot water then cold water, then hot water, and cold water until I get that exact thing. And then when it hits the exact temperature, I'm a fiend. Give me that thing. Like I'll pour it in like crazy. I'll get everything right. Okay, it's perfect. And then comes the inversion. Then oh. I have to like do, okay, what did that guy say? What did that guy say? What did that guy say? What did that girl say? That girl, that girl did it wholly different. And then sort of it proceeds on and on and on. Until the very end, and I get the negatives out, and I put them up there, and I can see them, then I can
0: breathe a sigh of relief, but only then. Yeah, that's me. I love that narrative. Yeah. Okay, and what's so interesting to me, in light of what we just spoke about, mm-hmm. is that you'd think that I am someone who is super hung up on exactitude. You'd right. You'd that.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: I'm really not? <laughs> and... That might be one of the reasons I find the monobath appealing is because I have this sort of five-degree range. Oh, boy. The lab box, of course, there are no inversions with the lab box. You just turn the knob every 45 seconds or so. Sometimes I agitate it the whole time. I'm not real compulsive about it. Yeah. And sometimes when I get a roll out and there's a little edge that's underdeveloped or there's some bromide drag on a couple of frames I wonder oh you know what maybe that was a problem with insufficient agitation or too much agitation but I let it go yeah no, I'm, I'm not so like that. easygoing about it <laughs> my deal by the way on temperature is I fill the sink with hot water I drop the graduated cylinder with the thermometer in it and then when it hits like 80 I just take it out and I let it cool on the counter if it goes up to 82 I don't sweat it oh, I just oh. start <sighs> Isn't that interesting? That's weird. <laughs> How many psychologists do you think are in our audience? 20? 200?
1: I, what, there's not enough for me. That's okay. all I can tell you.
0: <laughs> psychologists, psychiatrists, yep. amateur psychoanalysts, Help write right into us. Help us, I dream of cameras at gmail.com. Exactly. Tell us why our personalities diverge in this specific way. I love it. You're Okay, up. I love it. Next up. Again, this is not surprising to those who have taken this journey with us, but for me, rarity, exoticism, and gorgeous industrial design, even if wildly impractical, appeals to me as much, if not more, than usability. Interesting. I mean, I've talked about how I love cameras that aren't made in the US, Germany, or Japan. Right. right. Like I just love the fact that there's a French or an Italian SLR, and that, to me, gives it even if it's impractical and weird, you'd think I'd be into Russian cameras for this reason, yeah. but I'm really not. But I like designers who think differently. I think, again, that's one of the reasons the Alpa is so appealing to me. The winder goes the wrong way. Right. This parallelogram rewind mechanism, it's just so strange. And that uh, the Bantam Special we talked about, which is a terrible camera, but is gorgeous to look at, Right. that kind of stuff, I think aligns with my general interest in industrial design. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I find that exciting. Even if it makes it slower to operate, less usable, if the controls don't fall as easily to hand, none of that bothers me. Isn't that weird? That's weird. I It's weird, but it's interesting. I'll tell you that much. Not true of you, I would guess. No, I'm the,
1: I'm the you know, I, I, I I'm fascinated with design. And when you've shown me cameras that I've never heard of or seen, I love them. I think they're beautiful and I want to use them. In fact, I said to you, oh, that camera, I've got to use it. And then you said the camera's terrible. And I'm going, <laughs> how could it be terrible? It looks amazing. It's so cool. You have yeah. this special cap and special
0: lens cap. And yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, my, I have a, a boring car that I drive some of the time. Those of you who saw my Instagram over the past couple of weeks know that I also have a 1966 Volvo 122. Pretty cool. Now, it's not an Alfa Romeo. It's not a Ferrari. This is not an exotic and desirable sports car, but it is a cool ass piece of industrial design, yep. and I love how it works. I love how it looks. It's quirky. It's Swedish. It's Swedish and quirky. <laughs> I just love its strangeness. It's you. You don't see a thousand. Yep. Cars on that. the road. You even in Los Angeles, which is Car Collector Central, you see 66 Mustangs on the road all the time. I had a 68 Mustang yep. for a while. Okay. You don't see 66 Volvos. No. Nope. Hardly at all. Yep. And I kinda like it. It looks I great. I like it. It does mean though that there is nowhere I can go in the city where I am not known. There you go. Whenever I drive that car, invariably I'll get a message from a friend saying, Hey, were you on par- at Park La Brea today? <laughs> <laughs> all right you're up i think well i gotta tell you we've
1: heard this before we've talked about it a little bit on the show but i find it impossible to find the perfect camera bag it's absolutely impossible i have probably bags and (laughs) i would say that uh, okay that wasn't an audio glitch so there's probably i probably have Maybe f- forty-five bags. Okay, let's just say maybe. Are you wait, maybe? Wait, I just maybe wait. there's maybe there's Are forty-five. You serious? I think I might. I maybe there's less. Maybe it's like
0: forty-four, but I think it's something in that in that range. I'm imagining, just by way of comparison, yeah. a kindergarten class. Yes. comes in and every single one of them have backpacks, right? And they all put the backpacks in a cubby in my closet. Yep. That kindergarten class would not have as many bags as you have for cameras. Yes. You're correct. <laughs> now, here's the issue. So so I'm always
1: seeing someone with a bag and always going, oh, look how smooth that is. It's like they just do this, and they unzip this, and they put that in, and it's so great. Then I get the bag and realize, oh, I hate this bag. You know, that happens mm-hmm. a lot. The other yeah. thing that happens is when I see a photographer with some small range finder, either a Leica or whatever, or Nikon, whatever they have— they will have what I call the perfect size bag. It's almost like that small Billingham, which I think is amazing. I don't have that bag. But the small Mm. Billingham is the one that fits like one body, one lens. People are happy as can be. The problem is that I'm happy with that in theory. okay? But if I had that bag, I'd say, oh, it can't fit everything I need to bring, which I don't need to bring. But in my mind, I need to bring it. So it doesn't have enough pockets or it doesn't have the So I have rolling cases, I have backpacks, I have every kind of case to transport cameras mm. you could ask for. And most of the time, what I do is for shoots, I bring one rolling case and I bring a shoulder bag or a backpack and I switch up. So I shoot the first part of the shoot with whatever, with Pentax 67 or whatever, bring that back to the car, put the other stuff in the bag, and then continue.
0: I am slack-jawed with (laughs) astonishment. Love that. Okay, now, I knew that you had a bag hang-up. We talked about this a long time ago, but I did not realize. Let me ask you a question. I mean, in light of what you just said. Say, Billingham or... Domkey approaches you and say, We want to do the Gabe Sachs signature bag. Yeah. And you can design it the way like Michael Jordan designed it. Oh, that'd the Air be the Jordan. coolest thing ever. Could you do it? Is there a perfect bag configuration? I if think, you had just a blank sheet I of paper, could you do it? There
1: might be. And the problem is because I have a number of cameras and mm. some of them fit better than others, but I'm usually always taking the Roloflex. And the like, M6. That's mostly where I'm, I'm going. And the shoulder bag sometimes gets heavy, so I will switch to a backpack. And I think I might be able to design it. I'm not sure. I, I've really enjoyed, you know, the fog bags, which I told you are handmade in France, that I got way right. before they became crazy expensive. And I really enjoy those. And I've had a bag for 20 years and I lost, a th- you know, one of the class and I called them up and they're like, send me one right out. There couldn't be, you know, nicer about that. And then recently I got a Cecilia backpack which is like the Rolls-Royce, and then I'm nervous to take that out because it's the (laughs) Rolls-Royce. I do love it. They make some nice bags, but there's always a new bag out there. There's always someone making a new bag out there. There's always someone who has the perfect bag. And because I listen to everyone that tells me it's the best bag ever, I end up getting it, and uh,
0: sometimes I use it, sometimes I don't. I want to hear from our listeners on this, too. Yeah, I just want to hear, like, what's their favorite bag? I have to say this. I think you know, Gabe. I own exactly one <laughs> camera bag. One. One. Number one. <laughs> only one. That is a camera bag per se. For many years, my camera bag was, if I brought along a bag and I needed, like, something to keep the extra film or the filters right. or the second body in. I had a Army Surplus gas mask case that I bought. It was like it was like it looked like a little salt and pepper colored right. shoulder oh, bag. I know that one. Yeah, that I bought at Una's vintage clothing in Harvard Square. Nice. And that's what I would use. I didn't need a camera bag per se. Right. Years later, I got this Domke bag, which has three little vertical yep. compartments and Velcro. You can rearrange the insides, and I use that sometimes when I'm bringing along two bodies or a second, you know, second lens, third lens. And then of course I have the Swiss Army bread bag, which is not even a camera bag. Right, but it's, it works. And I have some bike messenger bags and things that sometimes I use. But an actual camera bag, no, I do not have. Well, it's so, so funny because if I turn around. World.
1: If I turn around right now, you said you have one bag? Yes. I have ten bags just in, in my eyesight. <laughs> and that's not and that's without opening my closet where all the camera bags are. I'm not kidding. There's ten bags. That's astounding. There's three rolling cases behind me and there's three backpacks here and there's two shoulder bags and whatever it goes on and on right
0: i'm astonished that's yep. amazing and great okay so i really do want to hear from our people yeah, about their feelings uh, about yeah. bags because that's amazing my weird issues okay next topic here we go i irrationally love half frame 110 and sub miniature cameras i've talked about my love yep. of olympus pens I've talked about my love of the Pentax Auto 110. I've talked about my love of Minoxes. Right. I just love them. If there is a half-frame camera, I'm automatically interested. 110s, I won't say that I'm automatically interested because a lot of them are crap. Right. But 110 to me is cool. And sub miniature, I don't really care about 16 millimeter cameras by the way. But Minoxes to me are just badass. Right. On the other hand, there are vast swaths of cameradom that I am utterly apathetic about. I'm just gonna reel them off. Go for it. You ready? Yep. Hasselblad, mm-hmm. Mamiya 6 7, mm-hmm. Fuji Instacks, Holga, Diana, toy cameras, autofocus cameras. I have 45 cameras, one of them is autofocus. Box cameras, yep. press cameras, view cameras, really large format anything, Russian cameras, and almost any camera that was made before World War II. Interesting. Hmm. Crazy. It's a little crazy. crazy. Now, there are exceptions hither and right, yon. Right, Okay? Right. Obviously, the Minox was made before World War II. Obviously, you know, there are exceptions. Right. But that's pretty much the shape of it. hmm What do you think it is about the half
1: frame and the Minox? What do you think it actually is? Is it the design or is it
0: actually the pictures that you get out of them? I think that it is... I mean, the Minox to me is probably connected to my dad. Okay. Because as I've mentioned, my dad took all the pictures of us growing up with a Minox C. And it it was the most exciting camera I'd ever seen. Because, I mean, if any of y'all have seen a Minox, it looks like no other camera in the universe. It's so strange. And you can slip it in your pocket and it just, it barely puts a bulge in your pocket. So that's amazing. Half frame. I do like the fact that you can shoot 72 shots without changing film. Right. But I also think that it forced the industrial designers of the time to think about alternative ways of building the machine. You know, the Olympus Pen F has a rotary shutter. There are very, very few thirty five millimeter cameras with a rotary shutter. Its rotary shutter is exactly like the one on a Bolex. I mean it's just like a movie camera. Right. So it forced Alternate design choices. And of course, it made the cameras themselves more compact. And as you know, I am more into compact cameras. Right. Probably that. Right. Totally. Totally understand that. But nutty. Everything I just said. All these people who love their Mamiya 6.7s. Guys, (laughs) I love you back. But that to me is a big ugly box. (laughs) You are never going to get me excited about a big ugly box. There you go. The thing about the Pentax 6x7 is it is super cool looking. Yeah. Heavy. I mean, it is cool. Yeah. Heavy as hell. Love it. really cool. So there you go. All right. That's awesome. You're
1: up. I would say that another weird thing about me is light meters. So no matter how good the light meter is in my camera, the camera that has the light meter, no matter what camera it is, I will believe that it is intentionally messing with me, and I will bring an external light meter and use that as a backup. Because I'm so sure that the internal meter is
0: playing tricks on me. I saw a photo you posted recently of the equipment you brought along on a shoot, and you brought two light meters. Well, no
1: one was supposed to see the second one, but yes, okay, I brought, <laughs> I brought two, and someone saw the second one. It was supposed
0: to be hidden, but yes, there's two. Again, what if that one goes? So what strange. if that one goes out? I, <laughs> I hear you, but again. You'd think for someone who is so about exactitude that I would care real hard. Yep. I don't. Yep. I really don't. I accept the fact that there's a lot of exposure latitude in Conté's film stocks, particularly the ones that I shoot the most. I mean, I talked about Ilford XP2, which has crazy latitude. So I don't worry about it. I mean, I'm perfectly comfortable. Like, there's a film that I shot that I got from the FPP called Kodak Precision Line Film, Mm -hmm. LPD-4, which I think is ISO 6. Now, of course, very few meters go down to 6. So you're sunny 16-ing it all the way. What I did was I went out, I took one meter reading the day I was shooting with it, and I just dialed that in and I shot with that all day. I never changed the meter all day. Wow. That's
1: brave. And the pictures came out well. I know. I got to tell you, with your uh, recommendation of the Olympus OM-1, which I decided to test out, which will lead me to another one later. Yes. That uh, has a beautiful meter. I love that. You just put you get yeah. the needle in between, and there you go. But no, I, of course, have to double check
0: and things like that. So, uh, yeah, that's me. There's an interesting psychological thing about the OM-1's meter. Mm-hmm. You know, it has a narrower slot than a lot of the other viewfinders. Right. You know, usually there's a much wider... Slot and it's narrower and it psychologically makes you feel like it's more exacting. Yeah. I agree. I should just go with it. Okay. Here's a just, this is real short and real dumb, but here we go. I strongly prefer chrome cameras over black ones. Yeah. Strongly. Yeah. And I realized this the other day. I went for a Adventure at the Huntington Library and Gardens, which, as I mentioned on Instagram, is not only is it one of my favorite places in Los Angeles, but whenever I have a new camera that I'm falling in love with, I always load it up and I go to the Huntington because there's many beautiful things to photograph there. Incredible architecture. The gardens are outstanding. So I'm wandering around there, and of course everyone there has a camera. They're all black. Do you know why? Because they're all digital autofocus cameras. Right. You can almost spot... That's so interesting. A contemporary camera, a camera post-2000 is almost always going to be black. I went out of my way when I bought my Olympus Pen-F Digital to find a chrome one, and they are hard to find. But I wanted chrome. I just think they're cooler. And I know what black is for. I know that it's pro, that it's supposedly less (laughs) obtrusive, (laughs) and so forth. And I know, by the way, I have the chrome 35mm Sumalux. For my yeah. Leica M6, which is also chrome. The chrome Sumalux weighs about a pound more than the black one. Right. <laughs> right. So, in that case, it's actually dumb. Yeah. But damn, does it look good. Yeah. It's so good looking. Do you care about that? Do you have any preference? I mean, I like them to be uniform. I, my M6 is chrome as
1: well. And, yeah. uh, So I enjoy chrome, and it just depends on the camera, I think. I really don't, uh, you know, I'm not
0: as fussy. Your slightly worn, your M4 with the worn black paint is so beautiful. Yeah, that's the... And in that case, I get it. Yeah. You know, I gave my brother a Nycomat FTN that was black with paint that's worn at the edges, and it looks Badass, Like, brassing to me is cool. Real brassing is cool. Right. But in general, given the choice between a chrome and a black camera, I will gravitate toward the chrome one every time. I like it.
1: Like it. On to you. Okay, so this plays off sort of what I just talked about. So this OM-1 that I got, I got from KEH. It's a black OM-1N. Mm. I love it. I mean, I just, I love it. I love the size of it. It's great. And I bought... Instead of just getting the lens, you know, a 50 millimeter 1.8, I saw a lens and a body. So I'm going to go, well, it's such a great deal. I might as well get the body. So I ordered that. And of course, the body has tons of problems and the lens has tons of problems. Right. So, but a very nice seller it gave me a deal. It was awesome. Like he really understood how much it was going to cost to fix. And, and I was happily going to get that fixed. But then I wanted... The 51.4, as some friends said, you should really try it and you can pick it up. Cheap. So then I go again and I look for it. I can't find it on its own. I find it with a body. So then I buy it again. Okay. <laughs> so then I have that, and you can't really see through the viewfinder, but the lens is great. So I have that. So I this this goes on a couple more times. So I just want to tell you that right now. I have four OM-1 bodies. (gasps)
0: Four?
1: Four OM-1 bodies. A 50 millimeter that's a little off, but you said to me it'll just be annoying, but it will work. The one with the the lag. Yeah. yeah. Yes, with the lag, I have one too. It'll work. As long as it works, I'm happy. And so I have that with my black OM-1, and then I've got three bodies that don't work. What are you going to do with those? I'm either going to get one fixed and then give away, because I think someone would enjoy them for parts especially or may go to steve's camera and see if he would like them for parts or see uh see what i do
0: see last time i checked with you you had two so i did
1: (laughs) i did have two so the weird thing is that i can't stop myself when i know that there could probably be something wrong with this other camera and i just i go ahead anyway
0: yeah Hmm. do you have any other om lenses besides 50s now i have a 28 Because I'm about to wreck your life. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, no. Do you know the British photographer Jane Mm Bowne? Famed portrait photographer. I don't know if we talked about this, but her camera of choice was an OM-1. Oh, wow. And she had a methodology for her portraits. And if you all have never seen Jane Bowne's portrait photography, I urge you to look into it. One of the great portrait photographers of the 20th century. Just amazing. She had a methodology that went like this. OM1, usually an 85 millimeter lens. There's an 85 millimeter F2. F2. Yeah. She would set it to 2.8, 60th of a second, window light, Tri-X. That's it. Every one of her portraits. I mean, I'm sure she checked the meter. She did use a 50 every now and again, but she preferred the 85 for portraits. That was her methodology, time and time again. She would move the subject rather than change the meter, Smart. the aperture whatever, she would put them in a window. Wow. Never brought along hot lights, right? Just would put them in a window somewhere and shoot that. Amazing. I think that's a great discipline. So what I'm saying to you is you may want to get the 85. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. But Another night. to say, I mean, you got great portrait shots out of the OM-1, so don't screw with it if it's working. Well, I'm telling you. It's like, uh, yeah. And you always
1: manage to text me when I'm just about – to push buy it now <laughs> on eBay. Every
0: time I'm like going,
1: oh, I just bought Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. This is a short one. You ready? Okay. With the exception of T-Max 3200, mm-hmm. I've never used a T-Max film and I don't care for them. Interesting. Now, did you use them a lot? I mean, did you ever use them like a number of no. them or no? You just didn't like no. them? I just don't care. Wow. I mean, to me, if I've got, if I'm going to shoot 400 black and white, kodak i'm gonna shoot X. right I, i'm sure t grain is a thing i understand the science i'm glad 3200 exists but i just don't care about t max films should i care
1: i look i i too have not really used a lot of t max i did in the beginning i think but i do have a bunch of expired t max in my uh. expired bin which is a pretty big expired bit of film which I'm got vowing it. to use a lot this year.
0: Okay. All right. I mean, like I said, totally irrational. Mm. I do love T Max thirty two hundred for certain applications. I actually got to be set photographer on an independent film oh, a couple of that. years ago, which was so much fun. <laughs> and I just used T Max thirty two hundred and the thirty five millimeter Sumalux, which may or may not I mean you didn't use a Sumalux for your set photography, you just used the Sumacron, right? Yeah, it was overkill probably, but I got some really lovely shots, and when I needed to open all the way up, I could do that and still have a relatively high shutter speed to stop action, and it was really, really fun. I love that. All right, on to you. Okay, so here's a
1: weird one. So (laughs) I um, can't approach people on the street and ask to take their picture. No matter how much That's I want to take the picture. But I mean You're I You're describing everybody. Well, I really want to take portraits of people and I really want to go up to them. And and where I, I'm sure I just you know, I have no problem starting a conversation or on and on. But actually asking them to take a picture, I just can't do it and I can't understand some street photography and I love it. But I think where this comes from is this. So often what happens in Los Angeles and New York, Chicago, go on, Japan, mm. blah blah blah. There are a lot of Leica users, okay? And you will see them on the street. And inevitably, I will go up. It happened last week. I will go up to that Leica user, very excited and enthusiastic. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. What kind of like is that? And, and what do you like shooting? And on and on. And they'd go, great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a MP. Mm. Silence. That's it. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. I just, you know, and so occasionally I have a great conversation, but the last couple times in the last couple of weeks I've gone up to people about their film cameras, it's been very
0: much like I was invading their space. Oh, I'm surprised. Interesting. I've never huh? had that experience. Mm. Usually, I had. it's funny you mentioned Chicago. I was at a uh, restaurant in Chicago when my son was visiting colleges and I saw mm-hmm. a guy with a Minolta CLE. Yep. Which you is know a those? You don't see, nope. That often. It's kind of one that I want kind of. Yep. I mean, I already have a Leica CL, so it's like one step away from it. A lot of people say the CLE is the best M mount body ever built. Turned out he was a photography professor at the University of Chicago and we had quite a vigorous conversation about the merits cuz I had my CL with me, so we kind of compared notes. I think oh god, that usually is a good conversation starter. I'm surprised yeah. that you've had that experience. Yeah. Yep. Were you wearing a mask? Oh, that was it.
1: <laughs> I, was, I was actually not... I, I was not only wearing my surgical mask. I was actually wearing a Freddy Krueger mask. And that was probably the big problem. There you go. That was the issue.
0: I think we'll talk about street photography down the line. That seems sure. like a bigger topic. Yeah. But I'm very shy about going up to people. Uh, I did... You know, it's so funny. We were. I was just talking about that Precision Line film. I was biking on the L.A. River bike path, which is one of my favorite places to go to take pictures. Have you ever been on that path? I have only once, Frogtown? but I want to go. Yeah. It's amazing. It runs along. I, I don't know how to describe this to people who aren't in L.A. The L.A. River is peculiar enough. Yep. It's basically a culvert. They are in the process of restoring it so that it is something other than a concrete channel. Okay, if you saw Greece. The climactic race in Greece takes place in the L.A. River. That's what the L.A. River looks like a lot of the time. There's no water in it. It's a concrete culvert. Right. Alongside this culvert, which is now being restored, and they've done some planting, and there's now water in it a lot of the time, is the I-5 freeway, which is a huge interstate that runs north-south through the center of Los Angeles. Between I-5 and the culvert is a narrow bike path that's protected on both sides. When you're cycling north-south on this path, you have a freeway on your left and this weird river on your right. Right. And it's very stark and very strange and a great place to take pictures. Oh, that's. I had my camera loaded with Precision Line Film LPD-4. Right. I'm cycling along. Usually, I only pass other cyclists. Sometimes, I see people walking. I see a gentleman (laughs) with a thick mustache, this burly gentleman, walking toward me, and he is carrying... A fish. Oh, my god! And the fish is about two feet long. And he has clearly just caught. I think it was a bass. And he's walking along. He doesn't have a fishing rod. So I don't know. What did he, what did he do? Club it? Punch it in the face? I don't know. <laughs> but he's carrying a fish. And he had a great face. And I'm like, I cannot pass this up. Well. And I said, sir, may I take your picture? And he was kind of taken aback. And then I held up the camera and I realized he didn't speak English. Right. So I held up the camera and I pointed to it, and then I pointed to myself and he smiled. And so I took a picture of him. And I got one of my favorite photographs. And so I was rewarded for taking the time to do it. But I do think that there's a creeper thing, particularly like a yeah. guy with yeah, a camera. No, I, there's I get a creeper that. thing. I saw a picture today when I was out walking of these two children. I was on the beach today. I went on the beach path. Yep. In uh, Manhattan Beach, there's an amazing bike path there. And I saw these two children playing by this um, umbrella table, and there was a scarf that one of the moms had that was, like, blowing in the wind. And under any other circumstances, yeah. I would have taken that right. photograph because it would have been very um, uh, Lartigue. Yes. It would have been Lartigue-ish. Yeah. But you don't take a picture of other people's children. Yeah, no, you unless you ask do the do parent, and the and the and the yeah, parent. And like, and that usually takes the moment.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, so I will,
0: it's something I am shy
1: about. I will tell you about the street photography thing. The closest thing is at these um, at the beers and camera walk that was downtown. I ended up photographing which i do every time i'm on one of these is i photograph everyone in the group doing their thing
0: yeah and i love
1: doing that and i mean i love i see the attraction of you know street photography and getting people doing their thing but that's that's sort of been my taste and
0: yeah it's a little easier on a camera walk you know what you got me thinking maybe the way to do it is get a female photographer as your buddy right go out shooting together yep because then you just don't seem like a creeper Right, exactly. Which is me and my friend, and we're photographers and we're taking pictures and so it doesn't seem creeperish. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay. You're up. Okay, I'll be up. I'll be up. up.
1: Okay. So I am, which we've talked about before, but I am incapable of taking one camera anywhere. Yeah. And it should be something very natural, is I'm just gonna take this one and I know that I'd be way focused and I'd be better, and I would just have the one camera and the one lens. And everything would be great, but I find it impossible. I can't get out the door with one camera. And then I go, oh, I'll just take this other lens. And then, oh, I go, what if the camera breaks and I have to take the other camera? It's never going to it's never I... gonna change unless you give me an assignment and then I will do it, as I said before.
0: Well, we might have to have an enforced assignment, but it wouldn't be fair because <laughs> I almost always bring only one camera. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, I don't keep, maybe this is part of it. I don't have a lot of cameras that are loaded with film at the same time. So I tend to shoot out that camera. I want to shoot out that camera so I can develop that role. I don't bring two or three because that would slow the moment of, you know, fulfillment when I actually get to see the photographs I've taken. Right. And also, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a focus thing too. Like if I go out with a specific goal to shoot a particular area or to take a picture of some friends... I don't want to be shuffling equipment or even, yep. l- you know, no, lenses smart. even. Yep. But uh I get it. Okay. I get it. There you go. There's my short one. Okay, Polaroid. Ah. We're going to do an all Polaroid show in a couple of weeks. Might even be the next one up, hmm. I'm not sure. Polaroid fascinates me. Yep. I just love all things Polaroid. But although I love the SX70 as a machine, mm-hmm. and I really don't like the pack film cameras as machines. Mm-hmm. I love peel apart film so much more than integral film right now. I just think it's so much better. And that is primarily because the current Polaroid stocks are really quite mediocre. Totally, this is a real fight me on this, but I think that Polaroid originals kind of, and then became Polaroid. I feel like they stopped working on those stocks and they are arrested about like five years ago. And, they haven't improved. No. They're not... They're no more impervious to light. The colors are no more vivid. They don't last as long. So better scan them right away right. once the they stabilize. And so I have hoarded FP100C and FP3000B. I did a count the other day. I, between the two, I have 83 packs. Okay, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Because it it's great, so frustrating, but, yeah. I'm afraid to use them. Oh. Because... Like, I mean, 83 is a lot, and I better get on it because these are from 2016, 2017, and so forth. I better get on it or they're going to dry out. But I think Peel Apart, particularly 3000B, is so gorgeous. The look of it is like the perfect vintage 35 millimeter. I I totally agree with you. Yeah. I totally
1: agree with you. That's that's one of the things. And I wish.
0: Yeah. They're not catering to us. I wish I could get. No, they're not. No. They're really not.
1: All right, you're up. That's the truth. They're not catering to us. Okay, here's a here's a one. I have never used the self timer in my life. <laughs> <laughs> what? I have never used the self timer. I have never ever I've wait a minute. I have pushed it and I have had that sound and I do enjoy hear <laughs> that sound. I even have you ready for this? I even yeah. have one for my Leica three. So a really antique one with, yeah, like a watch winding The auto-knips. It's so cool. Never have I used anyone on a modern camera or an old camera, because I am sure that when I set it and go with my friends or whatever and pose or whatever, that it's going to take a picture after a
0: second. (laughs) I have some questions. Okay. Okay, this is good, because first of all, you're clearly not a narcissist. (laughs) That's really Uh, nice. You don't even use it as a substitute for a cable release the um, times you forget to bring a cable release? No. No. Won't do it. Can't do it. I do use a self timer. I'm impressed. I mean sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'm on a hike and I want a picture of me and my bike. Really? I'm very bad at, at taking my own pictures. Yeah. I don't it's so funny, I just posted one right before we recorded. <laughs> and it's from when we it's from when I was testing the uh camera on my new iPhone. So, I take pictures of myself every once in a while, right. but there's no art to it. I don't know how to pose. I don't know what face to make. I never look at the camera. <laughs> but I think I have used the self timer on just about every camera I have. Um, that's a fascinating quirk. I love now that. Now I'm going to have to try it. But I just, I can't. You know, do the it. Olympus X, do you have an Olympus XA? Have we talked about this? No. The Olympus XA4, which, as I've said, is a camera that I love, it has a switch. On the base that you open to put it in self-timer mode, mode, and this switch becomes a foot to stabilize the Uh, camera. Oh, that's ingenious. And that same foot in another position beeps to tell you if your battery is charged. It's the only camera I know with audio feedback as a battery check. Oh, wow. Pretty fantastic. So I've used, and I think the XA4, when you shoot a self-portrait, it beeps at you. To let you know nice. that you're about that it's about to snap the picture, mm. which is very convenient. That's a good quirk. I like it. <laughs> all right. This is almost like a fight us thing that I'm about yep, to say. Do it. The photography of Miss Annie Leibovitz yes. does nothing for me. <gasps> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness.
1: Now now wait. Now I, oh, I have so many things. Okay. First of all, explain.
0: I think it's phony.
1: The setups, the the
0: giant setups? Everything about it, I think, is phony. I am never unaware that a photographer's hand has set designed this whole thing. I am never unaware that enormous amounts of assistants and so forth have set the scene. I know that these pictures are great. Whoopi Goldberg in a tub of milk. John Lennon and Yoko Ono on the cover of Rolling Stone. I know that these are important photos and interesting photos, but to me, they are phony as hell. And they epitomize kind of the worst celebrity culture kind of photographs. Like Jim Marshall, his photographs of like musicians are, you know, Johnny Cash giving the finger. Right. That is 10,000 right. times better yeah. than any Annie Leibovitz photo. And I think portrays the essence of the subject so much better. It's almost like Leibovitz has an idea of what she wants to say to you about Bette Midler. And then she creates a set to dramatize her point of view about the subject. Right. Do you think I'm wrong? Well, fight me on this. Okay, I'll fight you
1: on this because I I enjoy her work. But do you also, let me go back to something else. Do you have a problem with photographers working by committee? Because as we know, there are very famous photographers right now that will take the shot and then there's someone who's doing processing, post-processing, everyone has sort of their yeah. thing in the picture and the final picture is really you know the product of like 10 people
0: i i think there's something a little phony about that mm-hmm. i mean i just watched the documentary um the september issue right. by rj cutler which is one of my favorite documentaries right. and it's about the vogue september issue right and they've decided to have sienna miller on the cover and they get a photographer and God forgive me. I don't remember the photographer's name that they get, but the photograph they ultimately use is the head from one shot and the neck and body yes. from a
1: different one. Right, right. Uh,
0: okay, okay. I know technology gives us the ability to do that, but I don't know. Is that the uh, that that pose never existed? Right. That's a pastiche, mm-hmm. and I I don't know why I'm all about authenticity or something. I don't know what it is, but. You know, I watched that documentary, which I told you about, this amazing documentary about Helmut Newton. Right. Um, which is on Canopy with a K. And if you guys have an American library card in a major city, you can see this documentary. I forget what it's called, but it's from the 80s, and it's Helmut Newton at work. He works so nimbly. Yep. And with with you know no assistance, maybe his wife June, who, by the way, rest in peace, just passed away mm-hmm. yesterday, Aww. Alice Springs, a.k.a. June Newton— passed away this week, a great photographer in her own, right? Sometimes she hung around while he was shooting, right. which is very interesting when there's like eight nude women on the set. right? But he had a, such a feel for poses, for the human body, right. for flattering ways to show the face, the body, the shoulders, right. the legs. And just watching him work, that to me is a portrait artist. You know. So maybe you like, just don't like the production of it. Maybe the...
1: Probably. Because that's, that's what Annie Leibovitz... Um, Her sort of specialty is those big production pieces. And I think that's something... I will, on a side note, that when I sold my very first show, I lived in London Terrace in New York in Chelsea. It's one of the first buildings ever in Manhattan. And um, she lived there. That's where her place was. Oh, she and Susan Sontag? So in the afternoon, I would come home from editing... And there would be boxes of her pictures just sitting there by the doorman. And it took every... Wow. I was like, like, is, can I peek at all? Like, I was trying to see if I could see... But no, I mean, they were delivered all day. It was very, very exciting to me. But... Uh, um, and also, and, and another side note is that my very first deal, which was at Universal, where you were my yeah. friend. Um, yes. Do you remember um, she was there? She was shooting... Um, Come on, chairman of the studio. I don't know. When uh, we were there, Lou we were there, Wasserman. When we were there, Lou Wasserman and uh, I watched her shoot when they were going across to the Big Black Tower. Oh, well, that was probably that was really cool. exciting,
0: and it was just her. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I could be wrong. No, I understand. I, there seems to have been a real push yep. over the last twenty years to try and position her as a great American photographer and it seems very self-consciously designed to put her in the pantheon alongside people like Mary Ellen Mark, you right. know, and I just don't see it. Yep. I, I don't understand. see it. Oh, and this is just a little corollary, yes. which is not really about Annie Leibovitz per se, but when there are lists of every all the best photo books, my favorite photo book of all time is The Best of Life magazine. It's and I good. don't know why people don't talk about that mm-hmm. when they that book Probably had more to do with my interest in photography than any other book. Wow. Do you know the book I'm talking yep, about? totally. It's amazing. And it's got all, I mean, life, of course, was an incredible boost to photojournalism and large format photography and all the other things that we associate with the photographic revolutions of the 1970s. And the best of life is the best of life. Yep. It's amazing. Exactly. Anyway. All uh, right, you're up. Um, I would say,
1: and I think we're getting towards the end. I, yeah, uh, I only have one more. I've got to tell you that I know nothing about repairing cameras, and it's very, very frustrating to me. I wish I knew. But I will try to repair it mm. as if I know what's going on. <laughs> and I always go too far. Like, I'm just at that point where I go, hmm, should I? Maybe this is the problem. And then I go too far and there's an issue. And I convince myself. I, the other thing I convince myself about cameras is when they need batteries, okay, and I put them in the right way, I am sure the reason they don't work is because I'm going to put them in the other way. <laughs> and something in my head tells me that, you know what? You know what? It's going to work. I'm going to be the one where it's going to work if I turn it in the opposite way. Yeah. No
0: doesn't work so that's well. It's fabulous. Yeah, I'll tell you. The battery thing is awesome. The battery thing is that's great. It's so
1: true. And I tell you, I, um, ever since you got me hooked on this thingy, this, this whole thing, I, so I've good. gotten these cameras and put them in.
0: And yeah, got, yeah I have one more. Did but I tell on. you, by the way, yep. apropos of the thingy, yep. okay, I'm going back to the SL350 yes. since that's what I've been shooting with. This is a PX625 camera. It uses that battery that we've talked right, about right. that requires the thingy. The Italian gentleman I purchased this from had the meter adjusted so that it can use the contemporary alkaline battery. So it's a no thingy camera.
1: Well, now I'm really jealous of your no thingy camera. That's very cool. But I'll tell
0: you something. I I kind of wish it used the little thingy. Yep. But I checked it with every other light meter I've got and my iPhone light meter and so forth. And it is right on the money where it is right now. So I'm not going to screw with it. Very impressed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have one and a half things left. Let's hear The last one is, I'm going to just do the one. Um, it's an exception now. I'm wearing a tie-dye t-shirt for Ben and Jerry's, but <laughs> most of my clothing <laughs> has cameras on it. I love that. <laughs> but yes, most people would think that's weird. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even joking when I say I have at least 30 Oh, wow. Photography-themed T-shirts. Yep. And three of them come from our website, idreamofcameras.com. But, you know, I just... The graphic design, pictures of cameras, pictures of camera batteries, pictures of camera dials, (laughs) references to film stocks. Do you know the classic um, John and Paul and George and Ringo? Yes. Shirt. I have a version that says... Portra and ectochrome. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean I have every conceivable. It's weird. What am I advertising exactly? What you am love I doing? Photography. Exactly? I totally. I'm I do, with you. I'm I do. Not,
1: I, you know, I don't see yeah. any
0: problem with that. I think that's that's great. Yes, I have a lot. That's it. I have a lot of photo themed t-shirts. Oh, and yes, I have Polaroid Pumas. Okay, that I've never even heard of. Special edition. Puma tennis shoes with Polaroid branding on them. Oh, my gosh. How about that? That's amazing. I mean, how weird is that? That's pretty weird. That's pretty weird, but pretty cool. Yeah. I also have... Oh, I'm realizing. (laughs) (laughs) I went through a fascination with brass belt buckles. Oh, my gosh. A couple years ago. Oh, my gosh. I have... Three or four belt buckles that are photography themed. I have a Leica belt buckle. I have a Minolta. I have a Pentax. I have one called the Art of Photography. (laughs) Brass belt buckles, by the way, on eBay are super cool and super cheap. I have. I looked for years for one. I'm not a big fan of the band Yes, but I am a big fan of the (laughs) Yes logo. That's and I looked for years to find a Yes logo belt buckle, and I have it. Oh wow! And I love it. I have anyway. That's pretty great. That's very weird. You're up. Okay, my last one is this. I'm sure there's
1: like 50 more, but here's the last one I can think of: is when I. So, look, let's be honest. We are in a business where we meet. We do meet famous people. We yeah. do. We meet. We we are not famous, but we are. We will meet people that are extremely sure. crazy famous. Some nice, some crazy, whatever it is. But we get a lot of opportunity to photograph people that are famous. And so, yes, I was in Vancouver shooting a show and the parents of one of the actors came up and we hung out for a couple days and on and on. And I was thinking the whole time, which I've talked about before, is how am I going to get that picture of Ozzy Osbourne? And it was like, how can I? I mean, I want to take a picture. I want to take a portrait. I want to and on and on. And I'm, I'm with him. We went to dinner. We hung out. We like it was just the greatest thing. I had traveled with Sharon before because we were looking for a place for Kelly, and and they were so kind. And and so all of a sudden, Ozzy comes up to me and he goes, "Let's take a picture. We got to take this picture." And he had a necklace that Kelly wanted, so he wanted to take a picture of him holding this necklace. And then we were printing it and putting it all over her trailer. So this was the. So Great. he comes up to me to ask this. Okay. So I'm going, oh my gosh. So I have my Leica M6 with the 35 millimeter because that's the only camera I had. He's one foot in front of me, okay? And I, in my head, it's that dream where you haven't studied for the test. I completely blank on all my photography skills. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. What do I touch in my head? I'm going, is this? Oh, my gosh. What if it's not? What if the meter's wrong? What if it... So I go through all this stuff. They don't see it. But every time, like someone famous, I will go through this whole thing where I don't know how to take a picture anymore. And so I will just go through this panic. And there he is. And I shoot three frames. Okay. I've managed to get three frames. And, of course, I immediately go to the lab. And... (laughs) get this to make sure those pictures yeah and thankfully they were perfect like there's one where ah, he is flipping great. me off from like great. one foot away and one he's showing me you know his rings and uh it was very cool but what happens a lot of time is when i am photographing someone famous it could be someone that i've worked with or talked to all the time but when it comes to taking their portrait
0: i blank a little there you go have i ever told you my casio watch camera story no, I don't think so. Tell me. Oh, this is you've given me the perfect entree. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Will and Grace staff, the gentlemen who ran the show, were very into pranks. And yes. one time, one of our writers was homesick. And I don't even remember the specifics, but one of the executive producers called him at home and pretended to be a nurse right. who had his test results right. and oh, <laughs> pretended no. that he had some terrible lung oh, disease. No. These were, anyway. So pranks were sort of in the air on Will and Grace. So we would have a gift exchange at Christmas every year. And I ended up with this voice changer box Wow. that would be a facilitator of pranking. Yes. I did not need a voice changer box. So I went to the place that sold it, which was a place on Sunset called the Spy Store. Nice. I looked around for something that was an equivalent price that I could exchange it for. And my eyes alighted upon a Casio WQV3 watch camera. Oh, my gosh. Now, this is 1999 or 2000, okay? So nobody has camera phones, all right? Yep. You with me? Yep. This is a bulky watch with, you know, the watch itself is about the size of a chocolate-covered Oreo. Oh, my gosh. Okay? But it just looks like a digital watch. But in the front of it is a little camera. And there's a button on the watch that you push to take a very low quality but color photograph. And when I say low quality, these (laughs) photographs were 256 by 256 pixels. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. So it's like a. You know, when you took a photograph of someone, it was like a Rorschach of that person. Like, okay. <laughs> so I got this photograph, and this was coincident with the time when Will and Grace started to have all of these cool guest stars. Right. The first of whom I believe was I want to say Matt Damon. It was either Matt oh my Damon gosh, or Cher. Yeah. And so I happened to have the watch camera, and I was taking pictures, and I thought, "Ooh, I'm going to take a just a surreptitious portrait of." Matt Damon. Right. So I get this very great picture of Matt Damon kind of standing off to the side with his arms folded. And his ar- he has great arms. Right. And he's watching the scene. Over the next six years that I was on the show, I surreptitiously photographed <laughs> every guest star that we had on the show and every celebrity who visited the show. Amazing. And- I had a confederate in our script supervisor because what she would do—she was the only other person who knew I was doing this. Right. She would call the person over to, like, check a line or something, and while they were distracted, I could snap the portrait. Perfect. Okay? Perfect. Warren Beatty and Annette Bening came to the show one night, and I was courting Warren to guest on the show, which he never did. Right. Uh, This is apparently classic Warren Beatty, is that he would flirt with people for a very long time, but you could not get him to actually do the show. Right. But he and Yannette came to the show, and I got a portrait of them. I got one of Britney Spears. I got one, like people who didn't do the show during my tenure, but met with us. Right. And at the end of my time on Will & Grace, I printed them out, and I had them bound in a book, and I gave them to every member of the writing staff. That's so great. That's so. Great. I think it's on my Instagram, but I will. Re- I finally posted the entire, and there's like I think there's something like fifty or sixty photographs in the series. That's fantastic. It's a, way back on my Instagram, but I will repost it. That's in exciting with this episode. I love it. Yes. So I've never had the opportunity to photograph a celebrity who was aware <laughs> I was photographing them. So good. <laughs> The uh, the title of the book was "The Stars and Near Stars of Will and Grace, Creepily Observed." <laughs> <laughs> fantastic!
1: So great.
0: Is that the end of how we are oh, weird? Gabe? Wow. So is that fun. the end? Of that
1: was that was it. We didn't tell each other. We just went with it. This was fantastic. So all good. right,
0: so. Here's a great opportunity for listener interaction. Let's hear about how you're weird. Exactly. I mean, this is a lot of weirdness we've offloaded on you guys. So cool. Uh, Tell us. You know to find us at idreamofcameras at gmail.com. You also know that we have a website, idreamofcameras.com. And we have Instagrams for our respective selves and also for the show. So please check in.
1: Please. And we have some thank yous. We do have some thank yous here. Go for it. Um, I want to thank Simon Forrester of Classic Lenses Podcast for these Beautiful caps for my nice Icaflex 1A. They're just terrific.
0: Beautiful and 3D printed. It's uh, oh they're Loveliness. awesome.
1: Red and blue, and they're fantastic. And and you should go visit his site because he's got amazing stuff there. I mean, very cool. And they snazz up your camera. So I love right. that. And of Excellent. course, uh, you know, Keith Greenstein, who is our amazing logoist and artist and copyright i can go on and on all those talents and then fred Corey for our amazing music and theme thank you thank you thank you and what else you got
0: that's it this is episode 10 what happens after
1: we made it to 10
0: that's the moment we made it to 10 double digits only 90 more to syndication (laughs) so exciting All right. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Thanks for spending an hour of your time with us. And Gabe, take us out.
1: Enjoy your weirdness because we all have it. Do you agree, Jeff? I agree. Good night, everyone.